Welcome to the panel discussion, Best Practices for Hybrid Cloud and Government, sponsored by Iron Bow Technologies, Dell and Intel. Here's today's moderator, Tom Timmon. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guests today are Greg Judge, he's the Deputy Director for Operations and Architecture at the CIO G6 for the U.S. Army. Andre Mendez is CIO of the International Trade Administration at the Commerce Department. Troy Massey is Director of Enterprise Engagements at Iron Bow Technologies. And Brandon Lockhart is Director of Data Analytics at Iron Bow Technologies. And our topic today, gentlemen, thank you for being with us, is hybrid cloud. This is the word for federal agencies and uh, everyone is going to have a hybrid cloud architecture of some type. So what I'd like to do is get a sense of where you are today in the cloud journey. And we know there's a lot going on in the Army. So we'll start with you, Greg, and give us the rundown of where things look and where you're headed. Certainly, thanks, Tom. So, um, so first and foremost, as you know, that cloud technologies are a critical enabler for not only the Army, but the Department of Defense as a whole. So what we've been uh, taking on in, at the Army is a very focused effort to understand what our legacy IT inventory really looks like today. And we've already rationalized that down to a set of applications that we intend to, to begin uh, rationalizing and, and categorizing and then a, an accelerated um, migration to, to both commercial clouds as well as um, potentially uh, Army Enterprise data centers. As, as you mentioned, the, the hybrid cloud approach will mean from the Army that we will have some applications that are still in, in Army data centers because of mission requirements, but we believe the predominance of our, our business applications in particular really are suitable for, for commercial cloud architectures, and, and that's really where we're, we're focusing our efforts. So we will, um, we will be funding these migrations um, in an accelerated fashion, so we will assist the portfolio managers and the functional mission owners to, to begin to uh, refactor where needed and, and actually migrate those, those applications within the next uh, two to three years. Yeah, so the real heavy lift then is understanding your applications almost more than your hardware. Exactly, so we've been, we've been working this task for, for well about a year now um, to really get a, a firm understanding of what an application really does look like and, and can we move it to a, to a cloud provider quickly or do we need to re-engineer that application? And so. we're going to get deeper into applications as we go in, but I want to hear from Andre, International Trade Administration, part of commerce, and so you've got your own issues, but you've also got commerce issues by being part of a big federated department. So what's going on? Indeed, well actually, we are actually 100% on the cloud as we speak. Um, we have a mix of um, software as a service and infrastructure as a service uh, set of providers, but uh, the, the individual that was there prior to me actually made the decision to actually migrate everything lock, stock, and barrel into an infrastructure as a service environment, except for the applications that were already being provided um, as software as a service. So effectively 100% cloud-based, and now we're in the process of migrating the legacy applications from the infrastructure as a service into the software as a service as fast as we can. We have uh, already the plan in place for finishing up by December of 2020, at which we point we will be both 100% cloud-based and 100% legacy-free-based. Legacy, uh, legacy -based. And, uh, and that has been a very, very interesting proposition. Um, it has allowed us to uh, dramatically uh, cut our costs of operation, where ITA right now is uh, spending about 12% of its budget on, um, IT, on the IT environment. Uh, versus the typical bureau within commerce that is operating at about 30%. We expect by the time that 2020 comes about and we finish the legacy migrations, we'll be operating at about 10% of uh, bureau budget uh, for IT expenditures. But what about the applications that you might share with commerce or other commerce agencies? I don't know, I'm just guessing, but finance or HR, those kinds of things. All of those are actually accessed by us as cloud-based uh, uh, environments, uh, so it, they make no difference to us. Uh, you know, as long as we do not have to run any of the hardware um, associated with the, with these environments, um, you know, we, we really don't care. Uh, but uh, fortunately, commerce has been relatively aggressive in uh, in the, some of the applications that it hosts. Uh, for example, like uh, um, uh, timekeeping, uh, for example, uh, and some of the benefits packages. Uh, the uh, financial services is still run by one of our bureaus. But as far as we're concerned, it's completely accessed via the internet regardless of where you are in the world, and we are worldwide, so 
um, it, it makes no difference to us. Right, so in that sense, technically you're hybrid because you are using some resources oh, that are in a uh, commerce data center, a private cloud, if you will. That is correct. But it's not something the ITA owns and operates. That is correct. You have no raised floors unless they're giving a speech. They are all gone, that's right. Except for the proverbial speech. You're okay. right. <laughs> Good. Or this one, yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> right. And uh, Troy, at Iron Bow, you've kind of got a view across the government, and yeah. we've heard really two extremes here. Yeah, absolutely. What does it look like on average, or what do you see as the state of the art? So, um, first of all, Andre, um, wow, you guys are light years ahead of most. Um, Greg is right in the middle of what we're seeing uh, across the industry, and that's, hey, we've got this traditional data center. We've got applications in this data center. We want to go to the cloud, but how? And there's also a, but should we? So Greg mentioned applications. So there's an application evaluation that needs to happen on whether or not an application actually should be up in a public cloud or not. And that has to do with uh, that, how chatty that application is. Um, so there's, there's a, an analytics behind the should we or should we not per application. Um, the idea that we have this traditional data center, this physical being, and we have to get to a public cloud, and there's a large gap between that. So Greg also mentioned the migration path. There's a lot that goes on to get that ease of transition from a mm -hmm. uh, traditional data center to a public cloud. Yeah, okay, so in addition to rationalizing applications, you also have to, you have to rationalize the ones that are left over to Absolutely. see which, where they best belong and how to best deal with them. Right, and both Greg and Andre mentioned the legacy applications, and that's, that's the trick. Um, legacy applications usually may mean legacy hardware Legacy hardware usually doesn't mean upgradable hardware. So you gotta be able to put those applications somewhere also. So therein has the, the conversation of the private cloud. Okay, and uh, Andre? Yeah, so it's an interesting concept because uh, you know the, the model that we've tried to apply both at my previous agency and at this agency uh, was really a four-step process for getting entirely into the cloud. Uh, you know, you, you do a consolidation, you do a virtualization, you do a colocation, and you do a cloud. And sometimes in these type of environments, you actually go from step one to step four immediately and bypass all of the other steps. Uh, such was the case, for example, with Office 365, where my, my previous agency was the first one to deploy it, and we went straight from an on-prem uh, legacy email application uh, that was totally and completely obsolete, uh, and we went straight into Office 365 with everything that it offered at the time, including SharePoint, OneDrive, and everything else, voice over IP, uh, tele teleconferencing, the whole thing. And that was a remarkable leap for the agency, uh, both in terms of functionality and also in terms of cost savings and, you know, and, and, and getting rid of all of the legacy environments that we had. And so, um, you know, that four-stage process that, that I mentioned uh, is, is to a large degree, I think, what a lot of people are going through. Uh, because it makes sense, uh, it's all the, the natural evolution of IT, including the virtualization paradigm that was so popular, and that actually is, uh, you know, extremely useful in terms of enabling virtual machine migrations to the cloud in a very, you know, uh, expeditious way. Sure, yeah, and we'll pick more at that <coughs> deeper as we get into this discussion some more. I want to ask Brandon, your title, <coughs> data analytics chief, implies that there's something data analytical related in this whole migration. Well, yeah, the, the big challenge, um, as it's been alluded to before, is understanding where your loads are, your workloads, and being able to do cost control analysis, being able to have an introspective view as to what's going on behind the scenes in the application to see if it makes sense. Um, the cloud you know, really is about the elasticity. It's about on-demand. Uh, it's about being able to scale. Uh, it's about micro-segmentation and security. And so when you look at data analytics, kind of tying into each of those pieces, um, you know, cloud and data analytics kind of go hand in hand. Okay, Greg? So I, I just wanted to make a point on top of what Brandon just said, because that was really important that many people um, don't understand that you're just not going to move uh, an inventory of application to a commercial cloud. It really depends upon how you move them, particularly in a multi-cloud environment, where you may have applications in one vendor location and applications in another vendor location that are dependent upon one another. Your performance that you expect from the cloud will very likely actually degrade. And so we've been running some types of analytics like Brendan, Brendan mentioned to, to try to understand exactly what are the dependencies between applications 
so that we can actually smartly move them to a proper location and actually get the enhanced performance, elasticity, and the things that we that we're looking for. Yeah, and that brings up a point I wanted to ask you also about, and that is as these different big name commercial cloud providers compete with one another, in a sense they're offering proprietary products because they have different architectures, they have different levels of services, different types of services, and so to some degree you need a way of, what's the word, normalizing or, or, or abstracting that interface between what you have and what they have so that you can be cloud portable and not be vendor locked in. And Troy, what are some of the techniques for doing that and understanding what it is you're really buying yeah, so if you don't go direct? Absolutely, let's, uh, let's explain a little bit of difference between a hybrid cloud and multi-cloud. Um, for one, uh, hybrid cloud is the ability to take that uh, private cloud, that local cloud, and be able to move workloads, applications, from that local cloud to a public cloud, right? So private to public. The problem with that is that industry is finding is not everybody is satisfied with where they put it whether it be for performance reasons, like Greg mentioned, or whether it be for cost, uh, like we've been talking about. Um, so the idea to bring it back down or to place it to another cloud, uh, to not have vendor lock-in with, with a, a particular private cloud or public cloud is, is key. So multi-cloud brings you with the ability to go from one public cloud to another public cloud, or from one private cloud to another private cloud or any mixture of, the, of that combination. It, it allows for uh, greater expandability, greater uh, leverage, and uh, a, a lot of our customers are finding that as they move stuff to the cloud, they're losing control. It helps gain that control back. I think there are some early adopters among federal agencies that do have that arrow in their back. Of, Absolutely. It's kind of a one-way migration, or else you're you've got yourself into an expensive situation. Yeah. Okay. The, uh, so ITA, when it first um, did its migration to the cloud um, by moving uh, virtual machines, uh, you know, sort of lock, stock, and barrel for legacy applications, actually ran into some of those issues from a throughput standpoint. Uh, you know, the routings and everything else became quite uh, convoluted, uh, especially because we were operating on a global basis. So it took a little bit of pain uh, over a period of time to get there. Um, I often wonder, um, uh, you know, whether the, uh, the advantage is in doing something like that and experiencing pain for three months or taking five years to do it. And quite honestly, at this point, I don't know what the right answer is. Um, I'm particularly pleased that I wasn't the one that was experiencing the pain, that my, my predecessor did that and I was able to benefit from that. But, but qu quite honestly, I mean, uh, not being facetious, uh, it's an interesting proposition because the, uh, the economic gains are, are substantial, right? And so, yes, you do suffer through some degree of disruption, and, but if you can manage that and you have uh, uh, you know, some degree of warning to, to your upper management to your, to, and to your uh, overall team that there is some disruption ahead, but please bear with us and we'll get there, uh, it might be an interesting proposition. Uh, it's, uh, it depends on your uh, appetite for risk uh, and your appetite for that type of negotiation uh, and your current budget situation. If you're in a crunch, mm, you know, uh, you, sometimes you've got to take some of the pain. Yeah, so there is some upfront cost in getting to that greater cost savings long term, sounds like. And Troy, I just wanted to make sure we understand exactly what you were meaning by hybrid versus multi. Multi sounds like a superset of hybrid in that you could still have a private government cloud yeah, aside from your own data center, but multiple public clouds, yeah, multiple absolutely. commercial Actually, clouds. And, and multiple private clouds. Mm -hmm. So uh, in the traditional military sense of a base-to-base, -base, two right. clouds, you could sure. literally bring workloads from one base to another base or from that base to a public cloud. And so uh, it seems also, you know, reading between the lines of what we've been saying so far, virtualization is a big fundamental piece of all of this. And virtualization has been around for quite a while as people sought to just get greater efficiency in their own data centers and also maybe have some kind of a distribution advantage of, of uh, localizing the, uh, the hosting for performance purposes. And that's what led to, partly what led to the uh, virtualization revolution. Is the current state of the art in virtualization technology sufficient to give that cloud commercial, let's say, or whatever, 
cloud-to-cloud -cloud portability that people feel they need to have that control? I would venture to say that it's pretty close. We are currently migrating from one provider, which was our preferred provider to start with. Uh, at the time, they, they were a little more uh, robust and mature in their architecture, uh, to another provider that is coming on very strong and with a better price model for us, for our needs. Uh, and we found that that containerization and that virtualization really has uh, very much helped. Uh, a lot of the tools from the two main providers of virtualization uh, really have become uh, so sophisticated uh, that it's really incredible. It is almost mind-boggling. I mean, I've been in the, in the business since 1981, and uh, I never cease to be amazed at what can be accomplished today. Uh, although, you know, the VM370 engine from IBM used to do some fantastic things back then as well, um, at the risk of dating myself. But uh, that those technologies have become extraordinary, and their ability to move these things now on a sort of, uh, you know, uh, geographically abstracted manner, um, by virtue of TCP/IP, and so it, it, it's quite, uh, quite, quite, uh, you know, uh, much easier than it used to be. So the basketball drops through any hoop that you want to drop it through once it's perfectly formed. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it's the technology is there now to have that automated or manual uh, bal load balancing or whatever other reason that needs a workload to move from one to the other. Mm -hmm. uh, the virtualization technology is definitely there now. And we're going to get into more about automation, but on that note, we're going to take a short break. My guests today are Judge, uh, Greg Judge, Deputy Director for Operations Architecture for the CIO G6 at the Army, Andre Mendez, a CIO for the International Trade Administration at the Commerce Department, Troy Massey, Director of Enterprise Engagements at Ironbow Technologies, and Brandon Lockhart, Director of Data Analytics at Ironbow Technologies. I'm your moderator, Tom Tennant, on the panel discussion, Best Practices for Hybrid Cloud in Government, sponsored by Ironbow, here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Moving to the cloud means different things to different people. Cloud is not a destination, it is a change in operation. Discover new efficiencies, enable automation, and allow for data to be accessed anytime, anywhere. Explore Iron Target by Iron Bow Technologies, an on-premise private infrastructure that seamlessly integrates into a hybrid or multi-cloud model, enabling you to manage your entire infrastructure and automate from a consistent set of cloud management tools. Learn more at ironbow.com slash Iron Target. Welcome back to our panel discussion, Best Practices for Hybrid Cloud in Government, sponsored by Ironbow, here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. My guests today are Greg Judge, the Deputy Director for Operations and Architecture for the CIO G6 at the Army, Andre Mendez, a CIO of the International Trade Administration, part of the Commerce Department, Troy Massey is Director of Enterprise Engagements at Ironbow Technologies, and Brandon Lockhart is Director of Data Analytics at Ironbow Technologies. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. And there's a key technical issue I want to get into a little bit more because it gets to the idea of how you get to this hybrid cloud in a successful way, and how you get to those cost savings, and how you give ultimately good service to your customers, which is what this is really all about ultimately. And that is, we talked about virtualization before the break, but there's also the topic of containerization. That's a strategy for legacy applications. I kind of liken it to putting an API around them, if you will, with the API to connect to the cloud. But that's not precisely virtualization. Uh, Troy, maybe you can talk about the nuances there and how it affects that cloud migration uh, potential. Yeah, actually, um, uh, very similar, and you're, you're right, it's, it's encapsulating the application, that application that's uh, not a candidate for a virtualization platform and definitely not a, uh, a candidate to stay behind on legacy hardware that you just can't buy hardware to update it anymore. Um, so the idea there is that you encapsulate this application. It can still go up to a cloud. Um, it can go from an on-prem cloud, which is traditionally where most of them are staying, I'm sorry, a, a private cloud. Um, and it can also go up to a public cloud. Um, similar, similar functionality as a virtualization design. But in many ways, it's almost like leaving you in the 1980s or 1990s when people had, well, there are still agencies that have assembler packages and COBOL packages, and they still had to have new hardware because hardware wears out. So they did a kind of encapsulation or containerization just to buy new hardware. Absolutely. And, and I think Greg can talk a lot more about this because I, I know the, the military side of things and it's, it's a lot like um, if, if we talk about certain agencies that have systems that we've 
filed paperwork as civilians for a long time, those legacy systems can't just be updated in a year. And the, the ability to flip them over to a new system is very disruptive to the U.S. government. Um, so the idea that they have to stay around, but they can't be upgraded is the challenge. It kind of keeps you in that CapEx model that everybody wants to get away from as we get toward the software-oriented world. And so, Greg, what do you do with those jovial Jupyter and Ada applications? <laughs> <laughs> so so what, what Troy just mentioned was, you know, just struck a chord because he's, he's absolutely 100% correct. We, we have mainframe applications that still run COBOL today. And so we are, we are looking, frankly, at the, at the cost-benefit analysis. So we've looked at containerization. Should we just put these into a cloud environment wrapped or inside containers uh, to maintain current operations? But uh, is it a better return on investment to do the necessary engineering work to completely refactor those applications to make them into a cloud-native environment so where you do get the better performance, you do get the scalability, and you do get the cost savings by, by divesting from those, uh, those legacy platforms. You know, we're finding and I would that add maybe you even get more value over the resulting code because you can render it as microservices. That's absolutely true. So, so it's an interesting point on the, on the cost. So we're having a hard time finding people who know COBOL, for example, right? So those, it's not taught in, in colleges anymore. My son's, uh, you know, graduating college, never heard of COBOL. So, um, the, uh, so we are putting a lot of our effort into how do we, how do we actually make these modern IT systems, and we're doing that across the portfolio. So, um, even on some of the the non-mainframe applications, we want to we want an IT environment that's modern and scalable and adaptable to 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 Army missions, which, as you know, they, they can change from day to day, you know, month to month, week to week. Yeah, and so Andre, that sounds like your the Greg's to be state is where you are now, and then you don't have a capital expenditure situation. That, that is correct, except for some networking and end-user equipment. Uh, but uh, the problems that we are encountering now from a legacy migration standpoint have much more to do with operating system versions and database versions because some of the legacy code was inextricably linked to specific functionality in those, uh, in those platforms. And uh, as some of the requirements, for example, from a cybersecurity standpoint, continue to evolve in terms of more sophisticated protocols, and the vendors have abandoned those platforms that are no longer updating them for those later protocols. Uh, we face a situation where we either uh, migrate very quickly or we are out of compliance. And so, uh, you know, for us, it has become sort of, uh, you know, the, the mission is to really get rid of all of those legacy applications, all of those legacy environments, and select a very few uh, environments and platforms on which we are going to be doing most of our uh, developing going forward and also doing all the business process re-engineering and re-architecting of the legacy applications so that we have as few um, platforms to manage as possible. We are now down to basically uh, three modern platforms going forward uh, and we still have three or four uh, legacy platforms that, that they were trying to get rid of but by the time this is all finished we'll be relying on platforms that are entirely cloud native to start with uh, and that as a result offer uh, you know, the, uh, the availability of constant vendor-driven uh, improvements and innovation, and also a very substantial amount of integration. One of the main advantages associated with one of the main vendors that I will not name, but that everybody is familiar with, that provides operating systems and office environments and, and cloud-based uh, email systems, you can figure out that, right, uh, is the fact that uh, all of that is integrated uh, through their authentication uh, you know, engines uh, and validation engines, and, um, and they have an enormous amount of uh, independent software vendor ISV support uh, so that you know, the, the, the richness of the environment is really uh, you know, outstanding. And so we hope that uh, well, not, not we hope, we're going to do it over the next 18 months or so, could complete that migration so that integration is, you know, just ubiquitous across all of our application portfolio. Sure, and Brandon, as Andre indicated, <coughs> the purpose of an environment is to run applications, but the purpose of applications is to do something with data. And now that data and applications are not bolted together anymore, it's a commodity in and of itself, what are some of the best ways to handle your resulting data uh, in a hybrid cloud environment or a multi-cloud environment when they are not the same P2 
piece of work, let's say, as your applications? So I think the key is, you know, like you said, being able to decouple the data from the application. So in, in that point, really comes down to the risk of the data and who needs to maintain ownership. Um, if you're looking at, you know, public weather data versus some kind of internal, um, you know, data related to some military action, there's very different amount of consequences based on you know, what happens with that data. Um, being able to decouple them, it allows you to keep your data on-prem, encrypted, secured, uh, within an enclave without having to worry about you know, external factors. Um, if there's applications that can shift out, you have the ability built right into your system. Uh, one of the key things that you know, I think of when I, when I look at being able to shift up into multi-cloud is being able to take advantage of some of those cloud services. So whether it's uh, cheaper, deeper storage, uh, maybe it's being able to burst an analytics workload up to the cloud because you only run it for four or five months of the year. But being able to automate those tasks and orchestrate them in a manner that reduces kind of any of the human error, but at the same time gives you this flexibility to take your workloads in and out. Um, and then even kind of more importantly is when you're looking at this cloud-first journey, being able to really fix your cloud first and be able to set up this micro-segmentation, being able to secure legacy applications from any kind of cross-network communication. So they're, they're, you know, the cloud has really enabled this modern-day adoption of technology. Greg? So I wanted to make a comment to what Brandon was just saying because I think there's a really interesting point that we haven't, haven't touched on yet. But it, one of the things that we are looking for the cloud to enable is innovation. So once we have data decoupled from the application, we, we firmly believe that there will be applications that we haven't even thought of to be used for this data. We don't put it in a place to use it today because it's usually used for a specific mission. But if we put different data stores together, make them visible and accessible, applications can be, de be developed to, to utilize those, those in a way that we probably haven't envisioned yet. Um, the beauty of the cloud platforms also is that we can order, we can order high performance computing on demand. So if we need to, to implement a machine learning algorithm, for example, we can order the GPUs right off the catalog and we can direct that against the data and we can then turn it off and shut it down. So we can run pilots quickly, um, so it's a completely different enabler for us, um, a, separate necessarily from running the business of the Army, but actually running the, how are we going to direct the future Army and using information as not only as a, as a strategic asset, but, but potentially a weapon. So in many ways we create our own app economies locally. Very, very, very true. And I guess in the Army that would be particularly apt because as doctrine changes to more close to the line decision making, there could be ideas for apps based on data that a captain somewhere or a sergeant somewhere knows exists, but he's not going to wait six years for the Army CIO office to come up with that application. Abs absolutely. So there's one thing I could say about, about uh, Army soldiers. They're smart, they're innovative, and they do what is necessary for the mission at hand. So if we enable them with tools, they'll come up with creative ways to solve problems. They've, they've been doing it for years, and we will only help them do that better going forward. Andre? Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's absolutely right, couldn't agree more. Um, one, one of the other interesting possibilities that occurs with, the, with this migration to the cloud, both from an application standpoint and a data standpoint, is that you have a unique opportunity uh, to do business process reengineering, to actually get rid of the legacy applications that some people have become wedded to and therefore offer resistance because the, the tsunami of the cloud adoption kind of, you know, basically trumps all of the other arguments associated with keeping this in functioning, right? And the other one is from a data standpoint, uh, you know, invariably in all of these agencies and with the intra-agency and intra-bureau, you have all of these data silos that were very much the predicate of uh, the old computing models, right? And so, if, for example, at ITA, we have different business units that are doing analysis on data that they collect. Uh, and invariably, when you're looking at, for example, impacts associated with trade policy, uh, you find that there's results that you need from this particular data set uh, that then need to be integrated with this particular data set because the reality is that they are targeting two different sets of data, uh, but that the market consequences of these two sets of data are fully integrated. And so the moment that you can get rid of these silos, get into a big data lake where those relationships amongst data are you know, further explored, 
uh, and laid out, you can have uh, you know the sort of the engineering of multivariate analysis uh, that uh, that beforehand uh, was subject to multi steps that mm -hmm. sometimes would take weeks or months. Where now, you know, through the power of the engines, the power of the data, and the metadata associated with it, you're running queries that encompass all of these data sets in minutes, rather than having processes that rely on expertise, uh, you know, from the human standpoint, uh, and take weeks or months, right? Now you you couple that with artificial intelligence uh, layer on top, and all of a sudden, not only are you running these things on a, uh, a reactive basis, but you set the horses free, and you start doing it from a proactive standpoint, and you really start, in a way, potentially dictating policy based on artificial intelligence analysis of multiple data sets that allow you to really, really, really become very agile, uh, in our particular case, not only from a uh, emission standpoint, but from a trade policy standpoint, from a geopolitical standpoint, and that is really fascinating type of environment. Yeah, and Troy, that sounds like it all points to the need for automation here, which is something we haven't discussed. A absolutely. So um, it's, at the beginning of this conversation, or uh, this segment, uh, we discussed legacy applications and the rationalization of those. We talked about data and, and where the data can decouple from uh, the application. And the rationalization, uh, Brandon mentioned about bursting, so there's a performance versus cheap and deep storage, to rationalize the storage. And Andre hit it on the head, I think I counted five times when he said, analyze. You need to analyze the environment, you need to analyze what that application, that workload is supposed to do, how it behaves, make that intelligent decision of whether it belongs in a private cloud or a public cloud, but also to engage the automation piece of it. So uh, the ability that some applications need to be high, highly available and they need to be automated between uh, one cloud or another to be able to fail over from one cloud to another. Um, and that again, that analysis on whether or not that application needs that automation. There's also the automation of getting them from a traditional data center over to a private cloud, public cloud. Uh, a lot of the, the virtualization vendors out there now have incorporated an automation piece into making that transition, that migration, very, very smooth, non-disruptive. Um, live migrations, the, the ability to automate a workload still being able to perform its duties while it's being moved to a virtual environment onto a, a private or public cloud. So there's a lot of factors that would need to come into the decision of what happens with a load or a database or an application, including the cost and the, and the uh, bandwidth and, and computing capability needed, where maybe the location even, also user rights, and we'll get into you know identity management, cybersecurity is a big part of all this, especially as we mash up databases for analytical purposes. So that would seem to take us beyond simple orchestration and even what we traditionally understand as automation and towards something much more intelligent. Uh, the term that's coming to my mind is robotic process automation. Is that what we're headed toward in this hybrid cloud area as a way to manage it all and make it actually happen? If I can answer that, so I know in in the army, yeah, the answer is is yes. That is really our future. Um, more and more, um, we are um, we are expending significant resources to to Tom's point is to really understand the applications and, and the dynamics. Some of our applications have temporal requirements that today will keep them in a in a data center where they're where they're currently at and located. Mm -hmm. um, some most of those applications won't, uh, so, but that analysis is is absolutely critical, and that's the one thing that we're we're taking a very measured approach while trying to move quickly, but actually do that analysis that is required, so that once we do move, we're not we don't have buyer's remorse per se, and having to actually you know pull out and 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 move again, redo additional engineering support, et cetera. So sure. So, um, so yeah. So the mission, in some sense, is the ultimate. Arbiter here. The mission dictates everything in, in the Army, yes. And the cost. And the cost. <laughs> and it's, it's funny you mentioned the cost because there, there are a lot of hidden costs that, that we haven't covered yet. And um, part of that is, is how a cloud vendor uh, makes, makes their money. It's egress of data. So just moving to uh, an application to a cloud 
may work great for performance, but different, different applications behave in different ways, and some are very chatty. You need to pull data down constantly from that application for it to, it to do its job. Every time you're pulling data down, you're getting cost. So that analyzing whether or not that application makes sense to go up there is also a cost perspective, not just a performance perspective. There's been a, a, a several cases where it costs them three times to 30 times more to put it in the cloud than to just upgrade their on-prem. All right, on that unhappy right. note, we're going to take a short break. My guests today are Greg Judge, Deputy Director for Operations and Architecture for the CIO G6 at the Army, Andre Mendez, CIO of the International Trade Administration at the Commerce Department, Troy Massey is Director of Enterprise Engagements for Ironbow Technologies, and Brandon Lockhart, Director of Data Analytics at Ironbow Technologies. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. This is a panel discussion, Best Practices for Hybrid Cloud in Government, sponsored by Ironbow, here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. As agencies are mandated to plan cloud smart, public cloud may not always be the best option, and building a private cloud isn't the most cost-effective long-term solution. Explore hybrid cloud with Iron Target from Ironbow Technologies. Meet cloud mandates, virtualize legacy apps, improve availability with options for continuity of operations and disaster recovery, and achieve cost and performance optimization with Iron Target. Strong, flexible, targeted. Iron Target from Ironbow Technologies. Visit ironbow.com slash irontarget. Welcome back to our panel discussion, Best Practices for the Hybrid Cloud in Government, sponsored by Ironbow, here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. My guests today are Greg Judge, Deputy Director for Operations and Architecture for the CIO G6 at the Army, Andre Mendez, a CIO for the International Trade Administration at the Department of Commerce, Troy Massey is Director of Enterprise Engagements at Ironbow Technologies, and Brandon Lockhart is Director of Data Analytics at Ironbow Technologies. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. And before we came to a break, we were talking about some of the cost elements, and those really have to be watched carefully by government because government is a cost-driven operation. I guess so are corporations, really, for that matter. And uh, Brandon, you had mentioned earlier about the idea of balancing workload that might be spiking, that you really need capacity versus something that's more steady state or deep, cheap storage and so forth. What are some of the kaleidoscope of elements that you need to mix into your cost considerations and forecasting? Right, so not, not only are there the, the traditional costs of your network, your compute, your storage in the cloud, um, but you also have all these licensing costs that you may or may not now have to consider. Um, in your private cloud, if you're running some analytic workloads or doing some machine learning, and you have to bring up these GPUs with additional licenses, more hardware, um, at the end of the day, that's a cost that you have to plan for over the course of the lifespan of that system. One of the benefits of the cloud is that if you're looking into something like machine learning, you can spin your data set into the cloud and then pay by the drink. You know, Use the GPUs, be able to hammer away at the data, get your results out, and then turn the system off. Um, so you're not having to you know, ex expend all this cost on these licenses that you now have sitting in the corner, just um, you know, collecting dust, and able to then transition them into the mission mm -hmm. and use those funds you know, uh, to, to better serve the customer. Sure, and you know, Greg, as you, you know, the Army knows the cost of every bullet. And so you know, looking back in computing history when memory got cheap, software got fat. And uh, storage, you know, it got cheap and so everyone stored a lot. Now virtual machines are cheap, but you can overdo it there too. So what are some of the ways you look at the total cost of all of this? Yeah, that's actually, it's a very good analogy. Um, so we actually have some case studies that we've been running over the past year to get exactly what Brandon was talking about in terms of in a traditional data center, the machines are running 24-7, 365. In our cloud environment, they're running during business hours only. And so we have actually been able to, to quantify cost savings simply by doing something of cha as changing the culture of the O&M organization to when they leave on a Friday night, last thing they do is they spin the development environments down or spin the test environments down so that we're not paying those costs over the weekend. It's turning out into, in some cases, you know, tens of thousands of dollars um, just for, for a, a, a single batch of applications, for example. So um, we believe as we scale out to the, to the size of the Army, who's, as you 
probably realized, mm -hmm. has thousands of, of applications. Um, we're, this is going to turn into very significant dollars going forward. It could forward. be millions a day, basically. could very yeah. well be, and we probably will be millions a day. Um, and we intend to be able to take those dollars and, and reharvest those to, you know, to mission priorities that the, uh, the secretary and, and the chief have, uh, have dictated on us. Yeah, and maybe even closer to the ground, it gets you away from that capital expenditure model toward more managing the operations. And Absolutely true, and that's really DevOps. Army's approach, is we want to get out of, of, of the infrastructure business for, on the bottom line and turn all of those capital investments into, into O&M type, uh, type of expenditures. We can manage those much easier, and frankly, it's just, it will, it will generate cost savings for us going forward in terms of managing those capital assets. And Andre, you've kind of made it to the OPEX, if you will, model mm -hmm. for the International Trade Administration, but how do you make sure that that doesn't get out of control? Um, or that well, it's reasonable for what it is you're demanding of it? Sure. Uh, you know, the, the, the entire premise here is, is to create an environment where you minimize uh, any amount of money that you're spending on something that is not directly contributing and directly related to the mission, right? And so, uh, effectively, what, what our stra strategy has done is commoditize an enormous amount of our entire technology stack so that it becomes completely invisible to us except as an invoice, right? Uh, and that has implications not only uh, from a vendor standpoint, uh, but also from a personnel standpoint. Because the moment that I go into software as a service, for example, right, I no longer need to worry about all of the administrators associated with that. Uh, you know, and so, or the disaster recovery associated with that, and all of those things that you need to worry about, and testing environments and everything else. And so it becomes a constant chase of a sort of supply chain optimization, so that as you create more and more abstractions la abstraction layers for all of your computing environment, you are left with spending money on the value proposition for your agency, for your bureau, for your company, where you actually get the value, right? It's not unlike uh, sort of, um, you know, uh, biological evolution where, you know, we have created an environment from a homo sapiens standpoint where we spent all of our energy on this functioning, rather. Everything else has been abstract and then we just eat and it gets done, right? It's our invoice. You put in food and the body does everything, right? And so you concentrate on the, on the brain. That's exactly the same thing that we're trying to achieve. So, um, you know, the optimum scenario is that you're spending 100% of your money on applications, on data, and on analytics, right? Uh, so that you can fulfill your mission. Everything else, you know, needs to be abstracted. Yeah, Troy, so when you have a multiple cloud hybrid environment, it's like having a mansion of many windows. And so some need to be open, some need to be closed. <laughs> what are some of the factors for controlling that? And again, with, with a reasonable amount of manpower and automation on it. So it's interesting, Andre mentioned the manpower part too a little bit, so I want to uh, kind of switch it a little bit. Um, in what we've found in the industry, um, so the idea of going to a cloud, uh, it, this conversation spins back a little bit on the automation. So traditionally, um, in, in the virtual world, a, uh, or a virtualization world, a person would request an application that would go to the virtualization guy. The virtualization guy would request a chunk of storage from the storage guy. That guy would get it approved from the networking guy to get this amount of bandwidth. And it's the spin-up like time. <laughs> Absolutely. Spin-up time becomes months for a single virtual machine. So now with the automation in a cloud workload, that is literally a click of a button and you fired up a, a, a new workload, a new virtual machine out there in the cloud. So that automation is is saving manpower, but it's making that manpower more effective in a faster way. Uh, you'd mentioned the opening multiple windows. Well, there's a, there's a problem with that too. And we found it way back with the, the server scope creep that happened. We started to virtualize everything. Then it was very easy to stand up virtual machines. So now we had a scope creep of virtual machines. And if you go into any environment right now that has virtual machines, they're not gonna know what some of those are because they got spun up for some reason and they don't know if they can turn them off or not. So it goes to the scope creep uh, that Greg was talking about with, we've got all these virtual machines that have CPUs allocated, RAM allocated. Now we need to analyze that before we talk about that environment going to the cloud. Uh, Brandon mentioned it earlier, fixing your cloud before going to a public cloud. Same thing with the, the mansion and multiple windows, right? Let's make sure the, the right windows are open, the right windows are closed. Um, 
So the idea that when we go to the cloud, we don't have the same problem that we saw with virtualization and that we saw with servers before that, and that's just multiple workloads being spun up in the cloud because it's so easy. So that, that analyzing that, that Brandon was talking about and, and making sure you're only spinning up, and actually Andre had mentioned, only spinning up the stuff that makes sense for your business. Good. Mansion's cool, but Make it the right size mansion. Sure. Brandon? At the end of the day, it really all just comes down to the policy. Uh, and when you're able to assign these policies to your workloads and from an administrative perspective, be able to dictate what systems are going to run from what performance tier, how they're going to be stored, um, it gives you more control to prevent some of the things like the virtual machine creep uh, and just being able to kind of ring all that in. So it sounds like something Andre said very early on, and that is you've got to have the right process and architecture before you do all of this automation and all of this virtualization. Otherwise, it's like when you have a mover come and they pack up the dirty ashtrays and then they end up in your new house. Yep. All right. Or the mansion. <laughs> yeah, right, or the mansion. <laughs> and well, to continue with this uh, getting tired metaphor here, if you have a house of many mansions, that means there's lots of windows that bad people can get in and no hybrid cloud discussion would be complete without what is the latest thinking in cybersecurity. And uh, we have the FedRAMP process, now a pretty mature process for the most part, and now even the military services in particular are looking at the higher and higher levels of secret load that can go to commercial clouds or public clouds. So where do we stand now in the cyber piece of all of this? So I can take that for to start off. So, <clears throat> so like you said, um, Tom, is we are we are currently you know have approved all the way up to secret the uh, IL um, IL six uh, clouds. So we are we are actually migrating um, many of the workloads that are currently done on the on the Cipernet over to you know to IL six clouds today. Um, mm -hmm. We are migrating some other higher classification um, systems over to to cloud environments today. Uh, but um, I, we still have some work to do, frankly, with respect to how are we going to how are we going to secure all that data, and how are you going to manage the access to all those all that data and the different types of data, not just the classification of data, but the need you know the need to actually use particular types of data based upon um, where what who owns that data because we still have mission owners, so who owns that data is, is still very very important. And how that gets shared out is is very important. So we we are building a, a uh, an enterprise um, identity and credential access management system, you know framework, mm -hmm. so that we can, regardless of what cloud environment you're in, we actually can control who has access that with uh, with multi-factor authentication, and who can who can actually use that data. Yeah. So Troy, it seems like in that environment that Greg described. You really need some kind of, I'll use the word again, an abstraction layer to be able to manage all of that. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I got I to start this out with very cool conversation to have today. If I'd have had this conversation with you five years ago, the conversation would be, look, we're, we're really not there as far as the, the public clouds and the federal government's comfort with their data being up there. But now we've come to such high levels of classification that a, a lot of these public clouds are offering a higher level of classification than, than they can get at, at their local data center. So very, very impressive. Um, we've talked about the multi-cloud uh, multi world, and now we've got to talk back to the uh, private cloud and securing it. So there's all kinds of cool stuff going on there. Um, the idea of ransomware, and ransomware can come and take over your entire environment, and you get to pay money, or you got to do something to mm -hmm. get it out of this. Well, that's actually affecting the backup world now. And ransomware can affect your backups. So the idea of going back to back in time, that's no good anymore. You resurrect the, uh, the ransomware. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. So, so now the idea um, that, that we're deploying is this gold cyber recovery image that is actually offline. So even if you're affected by ransomware, this is a gold copy that isn't online until you're ready to back up to it so you can get over that, that ransomware. So it's another approach to the cybersecurity. Sure. Andre? 
Um, so three, three items that I think are extremely important in terms of cybersecurity and the cloud. One is the fact that um, you know, the vendors that are providing these services, uh, especially in the software as a service arena, have the ability to hire uh, the best people in the industry uh, at prices that government agencies quite honestly cannot afford. Right? The best people in cybersecurity are in all likelihood not going to take $150,000 jobs in the, in the government when they can make a lot more in the, in the private sector. So in a lot of ways, you're basically outsourcing that, that, that service to them because their business model is dependent on the security of their platform. That gives me a large degree of comfort in terms of uh, their uh, desire to achieve that, uh, that impenetrability. Uh, the second one is that when you're doing that across multiple agencies, right? For example, let's say a very popular email collaborative platform, right? If they were being operated at the different agencies as they used to, you have all of those people that need to be dedicated. The final issue, uh, which uh, for, for, for me being in the, previously in the broadcast industry and now being in an environment that is very susceptible to foreign, foreign um, actors, uh, is the issue of scalability uh, against denial of service attacks, right? Uh, when you're looking at denial of service attacks that are now approaching the terabit per second, uh, you need to make sure that uh, you know you have that uh, positioned outside because you can't possibly accommodate it internally. Sure. Well, I wish we could continue, but we are out of time. Great discussion. I'd like to thank today's guests. Greg Judge is the Deputy Director for Operations and Architecture for the CIO G6 of the U.S. Army. Andre Mendez, CIO of the International Trade Administration at the Commerce Department. Troy Massey, Director of Enterprise Engagements at Ironboat Technologies, and Brandon Lockhart, Director of Data Analytics at Ironboat Technologies. I'm your moderator, Tom Tamman. You've been listening to Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Ironbow. Thank you for listening to the panel discussion, Best Practices for Hybrid Cloud and Government, sponsored by Ironbow Technologies, Dell and Intel, on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network.